and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. I'm going to talk to Sam Amick here momentarily, get his thoughts on what's going on around uh, the NBA, get his thoughts on the Jazz as well. Gritty performance against uh, uh, Memphis. Coming out with the win, holding on, getting some uh, big crunch time play from a variety of players and uh, getting kind of a, I mean, guess, uh, Gordon, uh, emotional or certainly uh, tough from a yes. mental standpoint when uh, even with uh, without Donovan Mitchell. On the, on the spectrum of belief, have you, as you've watched this team this year, Jake, from zero to ten, where I mean, do you believe this team could really win an, an NBA title? Uh, yeah, I, I, as you watch it play, I think we're edging upward a little bit, even the skeptics. Well, I think they have the best record in the league, and I think over the years, if we looked at the team with the best record in the league at this point in the season, we'd say, yeah, they've got a shot at it. I don't think the Jazz are any different. Uh, let's get out to the zone phone. Joining us now, our friend from The Athletic joins us every Thursday. He's Sam Amick. What's up, Sam? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. No, we appreciate you jumping on with us. Jumping on. Uh, Curious your your reaction. Uh, uh, I'm sure you saw the comments from all the jazz players about the, the the plane incident that they had, only to jump on another plane, go to Memphis, and come out with a win. I called it one of their best wins of the year, given the circumstances. What do you think? Yeah, I feel like, um, no pun intended, but I guess pun uh, a pun kind of tolerated. You know, that whole situation flew under the radar a little bit um, until, at least for me, until. And I'm watching ESPN last night and Mike Conley's interview got my attention and you know, I'd seen the headlines, hadn't been in touch with anybody, uh, but certainly, you know, just extremely relieved that, that they're okay. And basketball wise, sure. That's a heck of a way to, to bounce back and, and still get on a different plane and go get a victory. But, you know, another reminder that, you know, just try not to take things for granted. I thought Conley's perspective was, was on point. And, you know, to hear those guys talk about, the fact that, that it was serious enough that, you know, he, he didn't really get into great detail, but alluded to guys, you know, texting loved ones and telling them, you know, they love them and they just didn't know. So scary stuff. And, and just, it's just fantastic that they're okay. You fly a lot, uh, Sam. Have you ever had a harrowing experience? <laughs> Do I Gordon? <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> I used to. Yeah, I used to. Um, yeah, in fact, it's it's interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of scary moments. The, the probably one of the scarier ones was actually the only time in my whole career that I flew with an NBA team, where I went on the same plane with the Kings to India um, at the beginning of last season. They were playing the Pacers over there for the preseason, and we had kind of cut a deal with the Kings where we'd pay for our flight but we would be on their flight and uh on the way back i think it was leaving london we had a pit stop in london and 
you know, storms and whatnot. And then we got hit by a lightning bolt and Ooh. it was, uh, you know, it shook the plane. It, it, it was enough to have the, uh, the pilot get on and I forget exactly what he said, but his, his tone was not all that reassuring. Um, but it's one of those where you, you kind of felt the jolt and you look out the window and you saw the flash and, you know, and, and you feel very vulnerable all of a sudden. So, you know, nothing like this, but, but I've had a few scares. Sam Amick with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, Sam, the the Jazz currently sit at first in the West. They are three up on Phoenix. They are five up on the, the Clippers. Given that they have 20-some-odd games left, is there, a, is there a comfortable lead the way Phoenix is playing these days? I mean, yes and no. No from a standing standpoint. And maybe I'm just guilty of not doing as much homework on the Suns as I should, I, I need to wake up. I mean, they just, they're not going away. You know what I mean? But from an experience standpoint, for everything Chris Paul has done, you know, I, I feel like in that category, the Suns, you know, don't, they just simply don't have what it seemed like the Jazz has as far as kind of that ability to, to keep things level and to, you know, they've been through a lot more as a group. Um, Devin Booker's still trying to get his first playoff berth and, and they have a couple vets on that team, but not that many. Um, but it's still crazy that we're all acting like once the playoffs get here, LeBron's got to be healthy and the Lakers and Clippers will be up there with the Jazz and, and the Nuggets, and it's going to be the same top four in the West that we thought it was going to be going into the year. But it's like, I don't know, man. You know, the Suns are sitting here, I mean, you know, fighting for that top spot, really. And, uh, and it's a testament to all their players, but Monty Williams, you know, I think it's certainly a, a short list coach of the year guy. So a heck of a story out there. Sometimes, Sam, I think when we look at these teams and the players, we think uh, in terms of just sort of categorically, they are what they are. But I'm telling you right now, Jake and I, both of us are, I don't know, Jake, would you consider us skeptical people? Skeptical. We're skeptics at time, really. And the more we watch this jazz team, the more I think we've believed that it is extremely dangerous. I mean, this team can do things that previous Jazz teams couldn't. And I guess what I'm saying is that the players are evolving right in front of our eyes to the point where maybe they will be considered uh, amongst the great players in the league. They can't absolutely prove that until the playoffs come. But there's an, it's changing. It, it's changing right before our eyes. Do you, do you follow? Yeah, no, I do. In fact, not to take the spotlight off the Jazz a little bit, but I think they're sharing that same spotlight with the Nuggets. Um, you know, those two organizations and those two teams have been on somewhat similar tracks. You know, they have incredibly unique talents as the centerpiece of what they do at the center spot with Gobert and Jokic. Um, you know, they've got wings that are, you know, wildly talented but have at different times you know, kind of face some skepticism or about, you know, where do they belong in the conversation. So that obviously Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray. But you do get reminded that even like to contrast that with what the Nets have going on, and I'm not trying to say for a minute that the Nets might not go out and win the, the whole thing, but I do think that experience matters. And I think that, you know, kind of lessons learned through failure matters. And that's what the Nuggets and Jazz have experienced. Uh, and, and that I'm always a little skeptical of, of super teams, at least in the first year. Cause, you know, even with all that talent, a lot of times they get tripped up by the moments, right? Like those playoff moments when 
you haven't really figured out how you function in each of these scenarios. And so, you know, that little hesitation when it matters most, it could be the difference between a win and a loss. And, and Denver and Utah, uh, you know, again, have, have kind of had similar stories there. But the Jazz, you know, I've said it a million times on your guys' show, that, you know, to come out of what happened last year and, and seemingly be stronger and certainly better as a team is, is really impressive stuff. Uh, I, we, Sam, as you know, love throwing you in the middle of arguments that Gordon and I have, but we did, we had a disagreement over, uh, how much better Andre Drummond made the Lakers curious to your thoughts on that question. Um, I just think it's, it, it kind of, I mean, it's an overused phrase, but I think when healthy, cause he obviously just got hurt last night with this really painful injury. I don't know if you guys saw him talking about his, his toenail falling off. Yeah. Um, but it raises their floor to me because Marcus Gasol just hadn't worked out like they had hoped and they need size, you know, to, to give them something to check again, guys like Gobert and Jokic and Embiid and whoever else might be coming their way. And that was something that they, they had pretty well last year with, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, you know, and those guys obviously move on. Um, so that's where I think Drummond helps. There's an interesting debate kind of surrounding Drummond where um, just the general question of what's the value of a rebounder in today's NBA. I, I think Chris Herring um, of ESPN had written a piece where he explored the fact that, you know, it's, it's not, it's just not what it used to be. So, I think it raises their floor and helps them in terms of their depth uh, on the size front, but but it's not a major uptick in what they can do and be. Sam, can I circle back on your comment about the Nets? Uh, so do you think this thing is going to come together in a convincing way in the postseason, or do you think – uh, throwing these guys together, it, it, it'll be uh, it'll it'll fall apart before or won't be completely gelled by the time it needs to be. Um, I think it's possible that they get tripped up. Yeah, I mean because they just haven't had. I mean it's crazy because they're on top of the Eastern Conference, right? So you can't act like it hasn't gone well, but. It has not been anything remotely close to what they planned in terms of getting those three players together and then allowing them to learn off one another. Now, I think James Harden has made it a lot easier because he's clearly gone in and said, I'm going to be pass first, score second, and he's still putting up points. But, you know, that has helped. Um, but they still have not had a lot of court time together. And I wish I had the number in front of me, but, the, you know, the amount of time the three guys have been on the floor – it's just, it's really minuscule. And that's the stuff that, um, you know, once you get to the playoffs, I don't, you know, don't get me wrong. They are isolation superstars, right? So uh, what they do is not all that complicated when that time does come. But, you know, I do think that stuff matters. It's so interesting to me to have Steve Nash coaching this team just because I covered the Steve Nash, uh, Dwight Howard, Kobe Bryant Lakers, where, you know, they learned the hard way that, uh, health came into play in a big way there, but talent, you know, wasn't enough to, to even get them into the playoffs. They had to push to get into that first round series against the Spurs. But um, you know, we'll see. Uh, I actually think it's really kind of sizing up to be a really interesting postseason because you know the field is is wide open. I told someone yesterday, like if I'm 
ass to pick between the Lakers in the field because they're, they're the reigning champs right now. Like, there's no hesitation. I'm taking the field. Um, I think there's a lot of teams that can win this thing. Sam, Danny Ainge went on a radio show, and uh, the the comments I saw lacked some context, so I'm I'm hesitant to say he threw his players under the bus. But he said, you know, he said, I'm putting it on my players' shoulders right now. And uh, right now they are certainly underachieving from where a lot of people thought. <clears throat> Excuse me, at 23 and 25 and 8th place in the Eastern Conference. It would seem to me that they've got plenty of talent. What's, uh, what's the matter with the Celtics? Um... I don't know what the the problem is. I don't know how to answer that. I, you know, I, I look at the fact that they, they moved Daniel Tice, which was kind of an underrated loss, I thought, for them. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy made that point on the ESPN telecast last night, and I kind of agreed with him. But, you know, they add Evan Fournier. They don't really get that much better at the trade deadline. Um, I don't know what to think of it because, you know, they're obviously not going to stop building around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Marcus Smart seemed to possibly be on the way out uh, around the deadline, but, you know, it's just a team that that, that is, I think, going to have a dip here before they find some way to inject the roster with some new life, and I don't think it's going to happen this season. I think, you know, it's the kind of thing where going into next year they're going to have to do something. You know, it's the most uncomfortable I can remember it in Boston in quite some time. You know, Brad Stevens is getting increasingly – frustrated um, and kind of having some of that stuff show in his media session. Danny Ainge is doing these interviews that probably don't help him with his players. Um, so kind of uncomfortable all around because this is a team that, that even though they hadn't been out there winning championships, they you felt like you knew their identity and that you could expect them to be a, a top three team in the East, you know, as long as it, this core was there. And, and this year, obviously, that's not the case. I might be mistaken on this, Sam, but I'm not sure that uh, Jake and I have talked about this, but I'm not sure we've asked you the question about the play in games in order to qualify for the playoffs. You know, eight, uh, let's see, nine playing 10 and the winner of that playing the loser of seven and eight. Do you like that idea? You know, I did last year because it was new and fresh. um, And I still probably fall on the side of liking it. But what I'm not loving is like, you know, you got these middling organizations that probably should get really creative to figure out how to fix their roster and, and kind of push for something meaningful for their fan and really something like the Jazz have had, right? Like you guys, we've talked before about like the value of, of deep playoff contention. Okay, last year I know it was a first-round exit, but still, you know, being a team that, that has the ability to push for a second, maybe third round appearance every year, that's valuable, even though you're not winning championships. Um, but some of these teams now, and one of them in my backyard with the Kings, where they almost are justifying kind of taking the, the more straight-ahead approach um, because they have a chance to get into the, the play-in tournament, you know, it's just not it's not getting me excited Um I may, maybe some fans like it, but you know I, that part. It just, uh, it, I think it takes some of the pressure off the executives. Where, you know, if you got owners who are going to act as if they're content, just dipping their toe in the playoffs, then you don't really have to be all that good at your job. You can just go find a way to to get a handful of 
players that bolster your roster on top of the core that you have, and you should be in good shape. But um, so you can tell I'm, I'm mixed on it, you know, because I'm going to like it once it happens. The, the drama of those couple of days is exciting and is fun, and it has a little bit of a March Madness feel to it. Sam, I know in your latest at the Athletic, you dug into the MVP race. Give us, uh, give us a little teaser, a little preview. What did you dig into? I was just, you know, updating the uh, the piece that I, I had from last month. Um, I thought about you guys as I was doing it because I, you know, made sure to have kind of the obligatory line that was acknowledging that yes, I know how good Utah is, but yes, I'm still. <laughs> keeping Rudy and Donovan out of the conversation. Um, same thing in Phoenix. I don't have, I think the Suns and Jazz are somewhat similar in terms of how deep they are, um, the way they function, and, and how it's just different than some of these teams where if you took this one guy off the floor, they would completely crater. Now, you know, that's that's kind of a weak argument to, to phrase it overly simplistically that way because if you took Rudy off the floor for the Jazz, they'd probably crater and, and same with Donovan. But, um I have currently got Jokic as the number one guy. And one thing that I, I kind of tweeted how it's not real sexy, but it's a major storyline, in my opinion, is this is like the availability MVP award this season, meaning because Embiid got hurt, because LeBron got hurt, because all these different, you know, Steph Curry got hurt, um, all of a sudden it's about, okay, who's been able to, to be on the floor and produce and carry their squad? the most. So Jokic has legitimately played every single game this year. Um, Danny Lillard is another guy that I think deserves serious consideration, partly because of that. And then Giannis, you know, who I don't ever remember having like an MVP candidate where we almost acted like we were hoping he would go away in the media. Cause I think, I feel like nobody wants to vote for Giannis because giving him back to back to back puts him in a in kind of a historical context that, I think some people wonder if he's earned. You know, Larry Bird was the last guy to, to go back-to-back-to-back to back to back in the mid-'80s, and before that you're talking about Will Chamberlain and players like that. So, but, you know, where I land on Giannis is just I don't know what to do if the Bucks end up being on top of the East and he got the same impact in production and incredible play while playing 95% of the games you know, that he did the last two years, then I think he's going to be right there in the mix too. Sam, how do you divvy up value in in judging that? How much how much of it is individual and how much of it is the success of the team as the whole? I think it's a combo. Um, you know, I I do certainly take team success into account. I mean, I've got, you know, in my head I've got a little bit of a threshold. Like I did vote for Westbrook the year where the Thunder were eighth, and that was kind of a hard thing for me to do because that's kind of below my personal threshold in terms of team success. And, you know, that's why, like, I updated in today's story, Steph Curry was in there to just tell you kind of where he was at, but it was almost me declaring that, like, no, Steph is out. The Warriors are ninth or tenth, you know, whatever they are. Uh, He got hurt, so he's not in that class anymore this year. Um, The Nuggets are another good example. I told one of their – uh, a beat writers and a buddy of mine from the Denver Post today, Mike Singer, I was talking to Mike about it. I was like, listen, man, if, if the Nuggets have a backslide and they're like, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, it's going to be tougher to vote for Jokic. It just feels better when you're rewarding an elite team. 
you know. Um, and again, I know the Jazz fans are throwing their arms up in the air at that comment because that's what the Jazz are right now. But it's a combo. Uh, you know, you try. I, I do look closely at you know what happens to the team when the guy's off the floor, and so the, the net rating on court, off court numbers matter to me. Um, you know, the PER stat that that uh, our John Hollinger invented a long time ago, I think, is pretty telling. And Jokic is leading the league right now. Uh, Embiid hasn't played enough to qualify, but he's a close second. So um, with Jokic, though, it's honestly, sorry, Gordon, I'm giving you a long answer. His leadership and the way that he has kind of helped craft their culture out there is on my mind as well because I've heard some really uh, fascinating stories about the way that he dealt with Michael Porter Jr., you know, the way that he, he kind of patiently shepherded Jamal Murray through a frustrating early part of the season. You know, Jokic was the steady guy all the way through, and he's making guys better around him in the way that a point guard typically would. But he's such a great passing big man that he's got a, a pretty unique impact on his teammates too, which I think matters. Sam, thank you very much. As always, we appreciate it, and we'll catch you next Thursday. All right, guys. Be good. Thanks. Back at you, Sam. Thank you. Sam Amick of The Athletic. And uh, check out his latest on uh, the MVP race. And uh, like a lot of people, he obviously thinks very highly of Nikola Jokic. So this is probably a stupid question, Jake. But if the Jazz were to win a title this year, would, would, would that automatically make Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert a strong candidate to to win the MVP next season? Oh, it certainly raised their profile. Whether that's so right come, or not, it certainly would. Yeah, so why why does the Joker get the benefit of the doubt at uh, with the Nuggets being where they are? Um, it does it have more to do with where the Nuggets are or what production he's putting up? Because see, the, that's the, and that's why I asked Sam that question because that is isn't that the the real tricky part to making a, a, a judgment there that you feel is sound. Well, I often feel like voters and I'm not I'm, I know Sam has a vote. I'm not talking about him personally, per se, but I think we often do get caught up in the stats as opposed to va- actual value. And, and we even have a tough time. I say we not you and I per se, but have a tough time agreeing on what MVP even means. You know, and, yeah. and that he, he brought up the Russell Westbrook here. I mean, that's an excellent example because he did something that hadn't happened since uh, Big O, right? Oscar Robertson. But yet his team was kind of stinky. Yeah. And so did those stats mean that he was the most valuable player in the league that year? A lot of people obviously thought, yes, I didn't think that that year. Even though those stats are impressive, I think there are factors that go into it. And that didn't fit my definition of value. But. People disagree. But I think in those particular wards, oftentimes the voters get way caught up in statistics. I like the way you said that, your definition of value. <laughs> right. Because because that really, that's the crux of the problem, uh, if, that, if that's what it is. I mean, try, first of all, we're talking about a team sport, right? And then you're trying to give someone this, this award that is so highly sought after and thought of in the NBA. And yet, is it is it a great player's fault if he has two teammates who are bricking shots all over the place and you get eliminated or you lose games? Or um, on the other hand, can you 
uh, sort of say, okay, we're going to excuse you from your team's performance because it's not it's not really connected, but it is connected. So <laughs> where do you find your answer? Yeah, I mean, I don't like the argument either, the best player on the best team. I don't think that's always the case either. And yeah. it seems like a lot of people fall into one of those two categories, right? Well, oh, best player, best team. They have the best year. Or, well, did you see that guy's stats? And I, I don't know. My, maybe I'd uh, define value differently than, than others do out there. But, I mean, are the Jazz, the way that they play, likely to have an MVP candidate? Probably because not. Because they share the ball so much? And the way that they share it, you know? Mm-hmm. Getting back to Bogdanovich's hockey assist the other day, or last night, excuse me, might have been the most important play of the game. He didn't get any sort of statistical credit for it. That's a great point, man. Stats sometimes just don't tell the whole story. No, it's certainly sure. not with a team like the Jazz. And and on the other extreme, like do the stats tell the, story, the whole story about, well, Russell Westbrook or James Harden? where they are likely to have more overinflated stats because of the way that their teams play or played. I mean, yeah. you know, we'll see how it goes with Harden uh, in, in Brooklyn. But, I mean, the way that he played in Houston, he was going to have giant stats every night because of the way that the game plan. I mean, I go back yeah. to what Joe said, Joe Ingles said about Donovan Mitchell earlier in the year where he said, hey, if, if we played that way, he'd have 35 a night. But that's not the way the Jazz function. But does that make Donovan any less valuable? That I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, <laughs> he could do that if he wanted to. You think I mean, so? Maybe not. Maybe not so much with the Jazz, but you know what I'm saying. If they He's let him have the ball in his hands for the entire game, I mean, I I agree with that take. The statistical potential for Donovan Mitchell would be limitless. You know, his 42 point game the other night against uh, came against the Wizards in a loss. Yeah, he has bought into the idea that the way the the Jazz play will make them more competitive, and I agree yes. with him. Yep. But it, as a result, he doesn't make it onto the Athletics list of MVP candidates. Exactly. That is it right there. <laughs> and how do you how do you convince anybody of that? Because you and I have both seen the advancement that Donovan has made this year in overall carriage. His, his carriage, the way he handles himself on the court and the, the positive effect that has on his team. And the whole time he could be going for 35 every night if he want, if, if, if that was what his desire was. And instead what he has done and is, is more noble in trying to uh, help his team within the team concept. Right. Which, which makes him even more valuable than he would if he scored 35 every night. And Rudy, it's with Rudy, it's even more of an injustice because there simply aren't stats available that demonstrate his value accurately. And that's a conversation yeah. that we've had over and over and over again, Indeed. And which is why I love it that Mannix is kind of latched onto the Rudy MVP chain, uh, train because, you know, when you're arguing with your buddies in, the bar, in a bar about who should be the MVP, you can't point to a stat that just goes, yeah, see, see, he's more valuable. Because, again, I mean, they don't count how many times that Dylan Brooks crashes into the lane, uh, <laughs> wets himself, and then turns around and runs the other way. And we see it over and over and over again every night. Wait, nothing wait, nothing wait, personal wait. To, to Mr. Brooks. but he's, Diaper wetting is not nobody keeps track of that? Nobody does. 
All these great players would crash into the lane and would have an automatic two against any other team in the league. But they see Rudy and go, wait a minute here. I saw him swat that shot into the fourth row on SportsCenter last night. I'm not doing that. Who was it? Who was the dynamic point guard uh, that they played a couple of games ago? That got one shot blocked. Oh, Zach Levine got his shot blocked in the oh, lane. Yeah. So Chicago is coming in town tomorrow night. Got his shot blocked in the lane in the first half. Didn't go to the basket for the rest of the game. And that's one of the better players in the league. How do you measure that? How do you measure that the other team's best weapon refuses to play their game just because he's actually present and on the floor? How do you measure that? Well, I'm telling you right now, if you could cause, say, 10 wet diapers per season, you're an MVP. There you go. We have Ten. a standard, everyone. We have the bar. It's been set by Gordon. That's twice as many diapers that Gordon changed. Let it be written. <laughs> <laughs> All right, stay tuned. We're way over. We'll get to more coming up next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's The Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Um... This is just coming across, and since we kind of have a shorter segment here, we've got the Not Sports Report coming up. Uh, Tim Lacombe will join us at 5. Have you been following the the Kevin Durant, Michael Rappaport story at all, Gordon? I mean, I can fill you in 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 like 15 seconds. It's really not. I've I've heard about it, and that he, I've heard about it, but I don't know the exact details. Well, apparently Michael Rappaport is is an actor, right? Right. A comedian, kind of. And apparently he and Kevin Durant have a kind of trash-talky relationship. And Kevin Durant said a bunch of really, like, harsh stuff. You know, Maybe using temperate language. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't good. Uh, it was some, some insults, and, yeah, it was far from sensitive. And apparently Rappaport uh, ended up making those public, and uh, it's been kind of one of those stories but and really it's not worthy of our time except for i i personally am here for bad apologies i i find them funny <laughs> and uh here's what kevin durant uh, talked about in his his exchange with rapaport quote i'm sorry that people have seen the language i used that's not what i want people to see or hear from me unquote so in other words he didn't uh, he didn't apologize for his error in judgment he apologized that anybody saw it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of those uh, it, a more common form. I'm sorry if you were offended. That type of thing. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry you saw that. I'm sorry it's your fault that you were offended. Uh, there's a there's a great line in Arrested Development where Scott Bayo is saying, "Are are you getting in trouble for a crime someone else noticed?" <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's just such a bad apology. Just don't apologize. Because obviously he doesn't feel like he has anything to apologize for. So he says, I'm sorry that you saw that. How many athletes, prominent athletes, do you think are, are fall into that category of, of just, I don't know, w- wanting to be 
a role model, but really not being able to help themselves and then trying to patch it up as best they can. Because didn't Kevin Durant used to be a good guy? He did. We were we were talking about this and his his relationship with social media is really weird because I actually I, I believe that his actually being on his Twitter account and the social media and the, the interaction and all that stuff is actually his way of trying to be normal. I just don't <laughs> think it's it's the best way. It's not the way I'd go about it if I were in his shoes. Yeah. Why should you go to jail for a crime someone else noticed? <laughs> I love that so much. Why should you go to jail for a crime that somebody else noticed? I'm so sorry that you saw that. <laughs> it's, it's so funny, but um, I, I get it. I, I'm sure being an, an athlete, you in the public eye, you long for some sort of normal, like like a normal person out there can shoot off their big bazoo on social media and it doesn't make it, it doesn't matter, you know? So I'm sure he wants some of that normalcy and thinks he's entitled to it. I just don't know if it's the, I don't know. It just seems so beneath him the way he interacts on social media. Maybe that's not the right way to put it. It just seems like I, I, Austin and I were talking about this. If I were a professional athlete, I wouldn't want any part of social media. I wouldn't want the, <laughs> the ugliness, right? I wouldn't want yeah. uh, Joe Bozo out there, you know, uh, Bozo affecting, Philly, affecting your mood. Well, being able to have access to me, you know, in that way. Right. Yeah. And that's something that's new with social media. It's not like uh, back in your day, Gordon, you could uh, tell Bob Feller where to put it, you know, but you can, <laughs> in theory, do that with any athlete on social media. And there's at least an, a chance that they're going to see it. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, that's I've, pretty I've incredible. always thought that I, I've thought that about athletes, celebrities, that they that they are accessible in one way or another. Now, whether they pay any attention to it or not, or whether they ever really see it, who knows? Wasn't Kevin Durant the one that was uh, creating uh, bogus accounts so that he could defend himself? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's into it. I guess that's my point. He's he he likes social media. He's active. He cares about it. That's something. That's I think important. a lot of a lot of modern athletes are in that boat. I know. I'd, I if I were and and hey, I'm not in that boat. So what do I know? But if I were, I think that would be something I'd dial out of. If I were a yeah. collegiate athlete, I certainly would. Because have you seen what some numbskulls out there think that it's okay yes. to say to college athletes? Yeah. It's like, oh, man, that's that's Miss terrible. a basket with a second left yeah. in the game. and I wouldn't want any part yeah. of that. You know what that is, though, Jake? That, that's that's young athletes who were brought up in this, this, this period of time where this is what they do before they became famous, and so they can't put it down. Yep. Well, in the pros, I get it because, you know, you're you're all about branding and and uh, making as much cash as you can. And in, in the athlete case, you know, social media is a part of that. But if you're in college, screw that. I'm out. Yeah, There's no way yeah. I'm no part of that. All right. Well, I'm not sports port coming up next. Tim Lacoma five. Stay tuned. Ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone. <laughs> It's <laughs> the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for the Not Sports Report. Brought to you by the LHM uh, Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Check them out online, lhmusedcars.com. Where are we going today, Gordon? 
Today we're going exactly to New York. City or state? The state. Apparently, I said eggs exactly. Um, One of the country's largest egg producers reportedly will send more than one million free eggs to New York to settle a pandemic price gouging lawsuit, according to the state's attorney general. A place called Hillendale Farms will donate 100,000 cartons of eggs to food banks statewide to settle the suit. Apparently what happened, Jake, is when the pandemic hit, this place started like quadrupled its prices for its eggs. And uh, I think they went from 59 cents a dozen to $2.93 a dozen. And so they got sued for this, and they got busted. Now they're paying it off in eggs. I didn't ever think I would see a lawsuit paid off by a million eggs. Well, I guess uh, you use what you got, huh? Yep. And then there's this story. It's been a long time since I have uh, brought a story to the table uh, that involved uh, nakedness. So not to disappoint those of our listeners who uh, prefer those kinds of stories. A man in South Carolina, Jake, uh, was walking down the street at one in the morning and he was buck naked. Now, when police officers arrested him, what do you think his excuse was? Drugs. (laughs) There may have been, uh, that may have been part of the story. But it's just a naked man. This guy, his name is Michael Boatman. uh, He's 41 years old. He told officers that he was doing a walk of shame. Now, do you want to explain to our listeners what the walk of shame is all about? Uh, are you talking like uh, after um, mm, uh, spending some time with, uh, uh, or are you talking about something else? The, the answer to his question, Jake, is no, you don't want to explain to our That's listeners. That's actually a really good point. No, I don't want to explain. Wasn't there a walk of shame in, in uh, Game of Thrones? Yeah. So uh, so he, he said he was doing a walk of shame. Why? Because he cheated on his wife and he was doing it for her. And then he referenced the Bible, Adam and Eve, and said he was willing to go to jail for his acts. But here's the part that you had so perceptibly uh, picked out. Apparently, uh, he admitted to police officers that he earlier had taken meth. That'll do it. So, yep. I think Walk we could, of shame. We can cut out all the other relationship stuff and just skip right to the meth. <laughs> I'm just wondering, have you ever done anything, Jake? And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that uh, you had ever done anything along the lines of what he said he was making up for. But have you ever done anything where you would have to uh, do a walk of shame? No. <laughs> Have <Awesome>. you? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I could. I, I really, oh, yeah, you have. Remember that like time what? in church? Oh, 
Yeah, you were doing the hop of shame. (laughs) You know, that's probably true. Guilty as charged on that one. However, I think a walk of shame like that would do nothing to improve my situation. Or anyone else around you. What did, what did you uh, say the other day to end up in the doghouse? What what was that? It was like a month ago. Oh, oh yeah, and your I wife said totally it was BS. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, your daughter totally. texted you and said, yeah. yeah Mom said that that's was, BS. I don't want to have to bring that up again. But it wasn't that bad. Did, it was just one little, did, it was one little statement I made on the show. Did you shame yourself to make it up to her? Uh, <laughs> I, I said, honey, I'm sorry. <laughs> Is that good enough? At least I didn't say I'm sorry you found out about that. That's true. You are better at apologies than Kevin Durant. That is that is a good point. Uh, but you I didn't, don't know. You just, didn't do anything uh, to shame yourself in hopes that that she'd get a, get over it quicker. No, I just uh, I I made it up to her, you know, by just being the uh, gentleman that I am. And, you know, we've all been there before, where you stumble over something. You've done it, Jake. You say, you know, you say something wrong, you do something wrong, you're an idiot in one moment, and, and you, you know, you, you, you do something. You buy flowers, chocolates, whatever you need to in order to make it better. We all make mistakes, right? Yeah, I've, uh, I got one of those uh, uh, pens from uh, Men in Black, that the, the mind thing. <laughs> that, that really Does worked. that work? It's worked well for me. Can you imagine if there really were such a thing? How valuable would that be? I think it's called tequila. (laughs) (laughs) I hear tell. (laughs) All right, Tim Lacombe's going to join the show coming up next. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Trevor Sikama, co-host of Locked on the NFL Draft. Let's talk about Zach Wilson. Did that really solidify him as the newest member of the New York Jets? When the trade for number three overall went down between the San Francisco 49ers and the Miami Dolphins, I feel like we learned more about what was happening with the New York Jets because you had some detailed messages come out after the 49ers trade that said that they contacted Miami number three, they contacted Atlanta at number four, and they contacted the Cincinnati Bengals at number five. If there was a trade to be made to number two overall, I think the 49ers would have at least picked up the phone, or at least it would have been reported that they would have picked up the phone for them, but it wasn't. And so that tells me that Zach Wilson has been a lock to go number two for quite a while now, and the pro day was, I just think, the icing on the cake for him going very high in the draft. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.